Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books Institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. Today we have Jeremy Christensen with us, an attorney in the Washington, D.C. area and the author of a new book entitled From the Susquehanna to the Tiber, a memoir of conversion from Mormonism to the Roman Catholic Church. Welcome, Mr. Christensen. Thank you very much for having me on. I'm happy to be here. Now, our listeners get the reference to the Tiber, but probably not to the Susquehanna. I cross that river when I drive from D.C. to New York, but I don't see the reference here. What is that? Yeah, so <clears throat> the Susquehanna River River is important in Mormon theology because uh, on the banks of that river sometime in, uh, in the spring of 1829, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or the Mormon Church, claims that Peter, James, and John appeared to Joseph Smith and one of his associates and conferred on them the keys of the kingdom that were given to Peter uh, in, in the book of Matthew from our Lord. And that is sort of part of the essence of the Mormon authority claim. Um, and so, the, you know, the book sort of takes you on a journey from my former beliefs in, in thinking that the president of the LDS church is the successor uh, to St. Peter, to to where I am today, knowing those are uh, uh, across the Tiber uh, with the Bishop of Rome. And what is your background? Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up <clears throat> in a small rural town uh, called Blanding, Utah. It's in the Four Corners area of Utah, very rural. Maybe the closest well-known place is Moab, um, where they have Arches National Monument. Uh, small town, 3,000 people. Uh, a great place, a great place to grow up. Um, I would say, uh, at least when I lived there, you know, upwards of 80 percent uh, LDS. Um, most people there are members of the LDS church. And, you know, I grew up with great parents who are very devout and still are to this day and who instilled in me um, as best they could, uh, you know, a love of God and a love of Jesus. And we said prayers every day as a family and uh, read from the Book of Mormon every day as a family and went to church on Sundays. And, uh, you know, the, the LDS re religion was a deep, deep part of my life growing up. I've been to Moab, in fact, biking there with my brother. It's a remarkable <laughs> landscape. Mm -hmm. uh, now, for Beautiful most place. of American history, just to, to get back to what you were saying, the King James Bible was read every day by a fair portion of all Americans. It was, it was a daily practice and really a spiritual center uh, in their lives. Does the Book of Mormon play the same role for Mormons uh, back then and today? Yeah, it is. It is a central, you know, through the time 
the the history of the LDS Church, the Book of Mormon's role just historically has been at times more emphasized and at times less emphasized. Beginning in the late 80s, uh, the president of the LDS Church was named uh, Ezra Taft Benson, um, and he put a very significant emphasis on families reading the Book of Mormon every day. And it was certainly a, a big deal before that. Um, but I think since the late 80s and early 90s, there was a big push. Um, incidentally, I will say the, the LDS Church uses the King James Version of the Bible. Uh, that is the that's the Bible I was I was raised on and and read from and and you know the prose of that beautiful book are, are, is sort of very very near and dear to me and in part um, you know the Book of Mormon's prose is written in a uh, an imitation of King James English really I, I didn't know that it's a it's a good model to to choose and tell us what are the crucial things that the Book of Mormon does for people? I mean, yeah. apart from doctrine of faith, what, what, what broadly speaking does it, does it do for them? You know, I think the, 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 there's two things. The, the Book of Mormon serves two, two maybe three purposes uh, in the LDS religion. The one of them is sort of on its own terms. Uh, it purports to be an ancient record of a group of Jews who uh, immigrated across the ocean about 600 BC, uh, landed somewhere in the Americas, uh, knew essentially of Christian religion. And it's a history of the division of that family into two peoples called the Nephites and the Lamanites and their religious experiences. And it culminates uh, with a, a visit by the resurrected Jesus to these people shortly after his ascension into heaven um, and, and so it, it serves sort of that purpose. It serves another purpose of, uh, probably a more, you know, day to day one of people, people read the book of Mormon, they meditate on its passages. They try to apply some of its lessons to their everyday life. But I would say the most important role that the book of Mormon plays is the third one, uh, which is that the, the, toward the end of the book, it self-consciously speaks to the reader, kind of breaking the fourth wall a bit. And one of the sort of putative ancient American prophets challenges the reader to, to read the Book of Mormon and to pray sincerely about it. And if, and if you do that, there's a promise that the truthfulness of the book, uh, that is, that it, that it is what it claims to be, will be manifested to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is really the central role the Book of Mormon plays in LDS life and theology is that you are taught to read and to pray about the book so that at some point you will have this recognizable spiritual experience where the Holy Spirit tells you that it is true. And that is a, you know, this central piece that everything else is supposed to fall into place. Well, if, if the Book of Mormon is what it claims to be, then Joseph Smith is what he claimed to be, you know, that he was a prophet, that he, that he really, you know, was directed to these golden plates that he translated it from by an angel, and that he was called to restore the one true religion, and that the current, you know, president of the LDS Church is, uh, is a prophet of God. So I, I would say that third lesson is really the big one. Hmm then it gave you, when you were young, a place in the universe and in time, which mm -hmm. American youth 
really, really need these days. True. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And and again, I would say it's a credit to my parents um, that, you know, me, me leaving the LDS church and, and then subsequently becoming Catholic was not easy for them, but it's not, it was not easy for them precisely because they took religion seriously and they taught me to take it seriously. It wasn't, um, that's not to say they're like fanatical. They aren't, they're devout, but religion is important to them and they made it important to me. It was a part of our life and a part of our identity. And I agree that there is, um, you know, I think statistically I fall into a pretty small, a very small bucket of people, certainly who be, who become Roman Catholic Hmm. after leaving the LDS church, uh, but still fall into a small bucket of people who continue to espouse a formal religious faith of any kind. Yeah. Uh, that, that the more typical story of someone my age, um, you know, in their thirties, <clears throat> leaving the LDS church is, is something like going off into kind of what I would call, you know, TikTok atheism, um, a kind of, uh, you know, superficial understanding of religion in the first place and a superficial understanding of their rejection of religion following that. And and I think that's a malaise that is not hard to see, you know, among all faiths uh, and people of my generation who are leaving the faith right now. Yeah. Is regular church or temple attendance crucial to the faith in Mormonism? Um, There were certainly people who, right, who don't, make it to church super often um, and who struggle with that, just like in any other religion, there isn't say like a formal Sunday obligation, like you would think in, in Catholicism, but you know, you are supposed to go to church every Sunday. And, you know, when I, when I grew up, our, our meeting house, you know, was pretty packed um, every Sunday in and Sunday out. Hmm. What is the fast testimony? meeting. Yeah. So fast and testimony meeting um, is sort of a combination of two things in LDS practice. Generally, the first weekend of the month, Mormons fast, and they do what you might call like a black fast, like no food, no water for 24 hours. And in the midst of that is falls the Sunday meeting. And Rather than your typical Sunday meeting, which consists of members of the congregation who've been assigned to give discourses on various religious topics, it's somewhat like an open mic. Uh, it's actually one of the more interesting things to go see. Uh, and every every LDS person will have a few good stories of of. Um, people who said very interesting things during that time. But but generally what it is is for members of the congregation to get up and to bear their testimony, to assert this spiritual knowledge that they have and to say, uh, you know, I know that the Book of Mormon is true. I know that the church is the only true church. I know that the president of the church is a true prophet and, and those sorts of things. And so it's this deeply, it, it often becomes very, very emotional for people. And I think the Mormon testimonial experience is inextricably bound up in emotion. And uh, that, I think, serves to reinforce belief pretty strongly among, among people in a congregation. Why do Mormons wait till age eight to baptize a child? 
So that is a that's a, a question that's addressed actually directly in the Book of Mormon, um, which incidentally, you know, the, the question of child baptism was hotly contested at the time that the Book of Mormon was written. A lot of the particular granular theological topics the Book of Mormon addresses happen to coincide with some contentious theological issues that were going on in 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 the world that Joseph Smith was in. And one of them was infant baptism. And there is a chapter in the Book of Mormon that is very strident um, and certainly uh, might even border on the offensive to uh, to those who believe in infant baptism, but, you know, decries it as uh, an abomination and says that little children are incapable of committing sin, which I think Christians agree with, but Mormons don't adhere to the concept of original sin either. And so they see little children who die prior to the age of eight as being redeemed without the need for baptism. And so it's delayed. And and they they put it at, at age eight uh, as that being the point at which children are capable of reason, which is not that distinct, you know, it's a little more precise, but in, in Roman Catholicism, that around the age of seven or eight is when we tend to think children um, generally are capable of reason. Were you much aware of non-Mormon Christians when, when you were young? Did, did you have an opinion of them? Certainly not growing up. Um, I had very limited interactions with, with Orthodox Christians of, of any kind, really limited, like could count them on less than one hand. Um, and the environment that I was raised in, you know, certainly sees Mormonism as the restored church, the true church, and tends to look at other churches as saying, well, they're the product of the great apostasy. So Mormonism believes that shortly after the death of the last of the apostles, there was a universal apostasy. And while there have always since that time been good and sincere people trying their best to live Jesus's teachings, it all got corrupted and and proper authority was taken from the earth. And, and so the view was generally one of there are people who don't have the whole truth and and that's what my job is, um, is, you know, to testify to them that the, the whole truth has been restored. Let's pause for a moment to ask if you are looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry, as well as a campus in Rome, Italy, all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. You spend time documenting your the course of your childhood and into your adolescence. And as a teenager, you talk about losing your way for a while, going down some some bad some bad roads. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what? What was that about? Yeah, I, you know, I I had a really rough adolescent um, period and a lot of my friends who did not get out of that rut, you know, a lot of drug use and the like, um, those who didn't get out of that rut had a very difficult time uh, in life. And, you know, by, by God's grace, I 
did have an experience with the Book of Mormon when I was a, a late teenager. Uh, the, the pressure was starting to mount about whether I would go and be a, a Mormon missionary. And um, I had the experience that I was taught that you're supposed to have, which I read the Book of Mormon. And, and at a particular time, I was really struggling with some things. And it just felt like the words on the page were exactly what I needed to hear at the moment. And I had this sort of swelling of emotion, like I was taught that you are supposed to have, and that that is in fact the Holy Ghost telling you that the Book of Mormon is true. And it was a really powerful experience um, that, that you know, changed my life and, and certainly changed it for the better. It took me off, you know, a really destructive path and, and set me on a, on a better one. Okay, let's turn to the big, the big course of change in your life. What happened in the year 2013 on January 6th? Uh, January, January 6th of 2013. Uh, you're going to have to refresh my memory of what, of the specific date. I, I, I mean, the B plus, the B plus. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. All right. Um, I, I had not recalled the date that it hit. So, so I was in law school, um, you know, a lot of pressure and, um, I had had, you know, I, I got what really wasn't a bad grade, but seemed like one at the time on that day in, in a course. But I had had um, a blessing from a, a, an LDS leader called a stake president. That's a high ranking LDS leader in um, who oversees a number of congregations. When I was serving in a volunteer position called an elders quorum president and I, you know, got, had this feeling, this promise of, of how I was going to perform on my exams. And, and to be a hundred percent honest, it's like the same feeling that you have when you pray over the book of Mormon and this idea that God speaks to us through these blessings from LES church leaders and the like, this is all part and parcel of Mormonism's belief in kind of ongoing revelation and the way God communicates with us. And so I went in very confident. I had done very well in school and, you know, I, I got this bad grade and it was just sort of reality coming into contact with this promise that I had received from this leader in the spiritual moment and having felt, you know, these same kinds of feelings you feel when you pray about the Book of Mormon. And it caused, you know, really severe cognitive dissonance and it really sent me off into a depression. It was a very difficult time to start to reckon with like, why did God cause me to have these feelings? But then uh, it, it didn't work out the way I thought it was supposed to, you know, it was very difficult. And that opened me up, frankly, to, to ask, to just letting myself think one day, what if this isn't true? Like, I, you know, what if these feelings aren't from God? Hmm. And then begins the drift away from Mormonism, mm -hmm. which you found yourself increasingly dissatisfied with on, on many grounds, correct? So I, I had a period of study and, and determined for myself that the claims of the LDS Church are not true. 
And then I had a, a gap and there was a time where I was just trying to sort out, you know, I didn't consider myself a believer in Mormonism anymore. I still had some attachment to the faith and I was just thinking through, is there a way to make this work for myself? Can I come up with my own eclectic set of beliefs? Um, you know, very typical millennial, uh, I'll just choose what I want to believe and put it all together. And and uh, I came across very providentially the writings of the church fathers. I'd never heard of the church fathers before. Um, I'd never heard of Cardinal Newman. I found his the the major outlines of his story to be really fascinating. This person who converted to Catholicism as an adult at great personal cost. And you didn't have any specific goal in mind, such as joining the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah, I think that's true. I was not looking for a particular other Christian denomination. That was not the intent. I did, you know, it was not good for me <laughs> to to not have, um, you know, I, I think I've always just had curiosity about God and and wanted to know about God. And it was not good for me to be in that that limbo. My wife recognized it. Um, I, I was, you know, I spend a lot of time at work. Uh, my work is demanding by its nature, but sort of just giving all my thought over into work and, and it wasn't good for me. And I just, there was something that sparked in hearing about what are these earliest Christians believe? What did they think? I've never heard of these people. And, you know, reading the church fathers, I didn't read them with commentaries or anything. I just picked up, I found an edition of them and I started reading them roughly chronologically. What was it about the church fathers in your, in your reading that really struck you straight off? Yeah, I think in particular, it was just, uh, you know, from my own perspective, I was surprised to to see that they seemed like Catholics. <laughs> it didn't, uh, it just, it wasn't what I was actually expecting. I don't know what I was expecting to read in there, but I was not expecting to open them and read them and say, these people sound like Catholics to me. Um, their belief in in the real presence, I think the the doctrine of the real presence is something that jumped out to me very early on, uh, and and the idea of apostolic succession as well were were ideas that seemed very clear. Another one that is maybe less significant to Christians writ large, but coming from a non Trinitarian background, the conception of the the nature of Jesus and his relation to the Father was also very clear to me, although the language, you know, develops over time as it becomes more sophisticated up to the Council of Nicaea. But, but you know, that's a big deal for somebody who came from a non-Trinitarian background uh, to see the, the, the Logos theology, for instance, of Justin Martyr, uh, to see the way that they talk about Jesus being God and the Father being God, but there only being one God, th that idea was just so clear to me. And I, I suppose at some level it was just shocking. And, uh, and I started to, to think really seriously about, uh, about Roman Catholicism. And, and a big you know, help for me along the way was, was reading in that period uh, Newman's essay on the development of Christian doctrine. And I had just never, in, in the background that I had come from in Mormonism, there were just, there was nobody I had ever read who wrote about 
that faith the way that Newman wrote about Catholicism and Christianity in uh, his essay on development. It's sophistication and nuance just really overwhelmed me. And I think because I was coming from a religion that is um, so attached to emotion and its relationship, its approach to the question of faith and reason is very different, I would say, from the approach of the, the Catholic intellectual tradition. And there was just something that that really drew me into that. And, and as I continued to read and and study, I got introduced to, to Thomas Aquinas and the sort of scholastic thought. Yeah. And, you know, I'd always grown up thinking Roman Catholicism was sort of for benighted people. Uh, I certainly, I thought that as a missionary in Argentina where most of the people I came across were Catholic. And, um, and I was just so caught off guard by the depth and the beauty of the intellectual tradition of the Catholic Church, it really, it really drew me in. And how did your conversion affect mm-hmm. your family? They were Mormon. Your 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 friend, your more former former friends or friends who were Mormons. Uh, so, with my wife, at first that was very difficult. Um, she was still very very Mormon when I became Catholic, and you know, that was, that was a difficult, um, path to tread, but we did. And I had a very good pastor who gave me good advice about how to deal with that situation as a father and and a husband. Um, eventually by God's grace, my wife and all of my children became Roman Catholic. My wife was baptized, uh, in June of 2021. And, um, you know, for our families, they are still very devout LDS. It was, it was difficult for them at first. I think we've, you know, successfully navigated those. Our families are very important to us, um, whatever religion anyone belongs to. And so we've worked very hard, I think, to maintain those relationships. I think, you know, the reaction from family and from uh, other members of the LDS church that I know has, has sort of been across the board. Um, I had some relationships that I think were, were damaged pretty deeply, some maybe even irreparably. Um, I had, you know, I've had some that have healed and I've had, you know, I, I got a letter yesterday from a young man I knew many, many years ago. We were involved in Boy Scouts together saying that he had, uh, that he and his wife had left the LDS church in 2012. And he saw an article about me on, (laughs) on his Google news feed and, and opened it up and was very shocked because I was so devout and, uh, and he bought, you know, bought my book and read it. And, and, um, I get emails and messages from people who are on the fence, who are, who are curious about leaving Mormonism and, and, uh, maybe open to the idea of Roman Catholicism. And so it's, uh, it's kind of really been all across the spectrum. The book is from Susquehanna to the Tiber, a memoir of conversion from Mormonism to the Roman Catholic Church. Jeremy Christensen, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-332. 2930.